You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I was brought into a unit that opened up the most bizarre world known to man. We train selected individuals to transcend time and space, to view persons, places, or things remote in time and space, and to gather and report intelligence information on the same. Former psychic warrior David Morehouse, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, his story sounds like it could be something from a scary science fiction movie. Uh, or from an episode of South Park. But in 1996, a former Army intelligence officer named David Morehouse wrote a book about his experiences as what he called a psychic warrior. In that book, Morehouse explained how he had been recruited for a super top-secret Army program called Operation Stargate. It was based on the principle of so-called remote viewing, which called upon extraordinary powers of the mind to use as an intelligence-gathering tool. I met David Morehouse when he was on a book tour promoting his book, Psychic Warrior. So here now, from 1996, David Morehouse. I basically reached a philosophical impasse with my profession and believed that I had a a moral and an ethical responsibility to tell this story. Once I got over my own natural skepticism about this particular phenomena that the military called remote viewing, uh, I learned during my two two plus years of being in the unit that uh, it operated in a 60 to 80 percentile uh, accuracy range which is which is quite phenomenal and uh, not just I not just me but there were a number of the other remote viewers who felt the same way that I did that if this was indeed uh, something as good as it looked to be then it should be something that should no longer be sequestered as a weapon of war or as an intelligence tool. This is something that, if uh, applied and put into the right hands and used under controlled conditions, could be used to help find a cure for AIDS or a cure for cancer or, to, if nothing else, uh, to compress the uh, the standard research timeline for those things. And if we can cut it by a year or two years, how many lives do we save? Uh, it's something that could be of tremendous value to law enforcement agencies, particularly for missing children and uh, uh, murder cases, if it's if it's used early on. It finds they find that it's of less value if we wait to try to look at something where someone's been gone for six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I suppose you also have the cynics who say it would be wonderful on Wall Street and at <clears throat> the horse track, and and <clears throat> I mean there are there are people who will take these things lighter than they should. Well, here's the response to that. It, it is not a 100% accurate uh, program, nor is it a standalone endeavor. Uh, it has to be done in consonance with other remote viewers, uh, so you all pull together a project or a product that then goes away to an analyst who can uh, to pull together the entire product and find the common thread and throw out the highs and the lows and and use it all to some degree of accuracy at that point. Uh, in the intelligence world, remote viewing never stood alone either. It was always used in consonance with other collection platforms. But that's but that's consistent with the entire intelligence community as a whole. You don't use absolutely. just just satellite photos. You don't just use wiretaps or human. Do you you use all those things together? Don't Man, you? I'm telling you, you're something. You're you're the only other guy that's ever, <laughs> out, of, out of probably about 28 interviews now that's even captured that. That's absolutely correct. Uh, and, and anybody that stands up and tells you that, and there are people, one's a former colleague that's standing out there saying, hey, I guarantee 100% accurate results with this. 
Uh, and, you know, I can do this by myself with my few students out here that I've trained or two or three other folks, I can do this. And, I mean, it is just sheer buffoonery. Well, but you you would excuse the reader. You would forgive the reader, perhaps, who starts reading your book and wonders after several pages, geez, is this fact or is this fiction? Because it, yeah. sounds, it sounds almost like <clears throat> something out of somebody's clever imagination. Yeah. But well, this is, but this is real. Yeah, and, and you know the beauty uh, of this all is that in November of '95, the Central Intelligence Agency admitted the existence of this program. Oddly enough, whether it's coincidence or not, about eight days after the contract for this book was signed, and about actually about eight days after the contract for the movie about this book was signed. Uh, the CIA came out with this very well-planned media blitz, and they had all kinds of experts that they brought on. Went on Larry King Live and Ted Koppel and uh, Newsweek and, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, you name it, it was there. And they were talking about it. I guess what, what, what the listeners have to ask themselves is, do they really believe that the cent director of central intelligence got up one morning, sitting there drinking coffee, eating donuts with his boys, and said, hey, you know that psychic warfare program we've had for the last 20 years? What do you guys say we just tell the American people about it this week? <laughs> it was done for a reason. A pure and simple reason was that it was damage control. It was disinformation. It is, let's minimize this. Let's admit that we did it. Let's minimize how much money we put into it. And, and let's tell them we're not going to do it anymore. We're going to let it go away. When was the first time you heard of Stargate? The first time I ever heard of it was when I was presented three blue folders. At that time, it was called Sunstreak. This, this thing has had several names. It's a special access program, so it goes by different code names. First one was Grill Flame. Uh, <laughs> second one was uh, Sunstreak, then Center Lane, then Stargate. And I may be missing one in there somewhere, but it was Sunstreak while I belonged to the unit. Uh, I first heard about it when I sat down... Uh, with a command psychologist that was part of a classified unit that I belonged to after having come out of the Ranger Battalion, after I was shot in the head, and I shared some experiences with this individual, and this individual turned around and handed me some folders, knowing full well at that juncture that he knew what my psychological profile was, he knew I had a propensity for this kind of work. Now, with this with this sudden uh, admission of what was going on inside my head, biological or whatever it may have been, I think he believed that, okay, well, I've got somebody that might be halfway there in the training program already uh, and ferreted me away into this. Uh, you know, about four months after my first introduction, introduction to these folders that contained remote viewing sessions that were actually done in support of the Iranian, the failed Iranian hostage rescue attempt. You know, this goes back to our our original comment about this, not, this doesn't stand alone. So don't anyone get the idea here that old Colonel Beckwith planned a special operations mission based on the findings of, uh, you know, eight remote viewers. He may have used some of the data or the analysts may have provided it to him, but he certainly didn't plan an opera, a special ops mission based on that. I'm, I'm trying to imagine what I would feel like if I were in your position at that point and somebody's offering me entrance to this <clears throat> super secret program that, very few people know about that is kind of it, it sounds kind of strange it sounds kind of weird and i'm wondering they want me to be part I, what what must have been going through your mind at that point well it's uh, everything <laughs> it is uh it is an extremely humbling experience it is an extremely frightening experience it is a, very much an intriguing experience was it necessarily something you wanted 
it is not something I wanted. And, and in retrospect, you know, it, it's as I said before that, that uh, I, I, there's a part of me that wants to say that I think maybe I followed my destiny. Uh, there's another part of me that, that deals with just the reality of this, and that is that I was shot in the head. I had some unexplainable uh, things happen to me as a result of that, and I was brought into a unit that opened up the most bizarre world known to man uh, and put it right, laid it right in front of me. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the words used by the program manager to describe this particular program to me were this. This is the military definition of remote viewing. We train selected individuals to transcend time and space, to view persons, places, or things remote in time and space, and to gather and report intelligence information on the same. Now, if you're anything like me, the hair on the back of your neck just stood up. That's, yeah, again, it's, it sounds like the stuff, it, 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 it sounds like something halfway in between Arthur C. Clarke and that Gilligan's Island episode where they knock the filling loose and he's getting radio stations in his head. You don't know yeah. you don't know whether to be scared or to laugh. Absolutely. You don't. And so you have to keep a sense of humor about it and you have to keep some perspective. And it's easier for me to do that now than it was several years ago. Uh, I, I was pretty much at my wits end. I mean, the, the options that were offered to my wife and I were simply this. You know, if he's, if he's truly having hallucinations, we can't find anything biologically wrong with him. So if it's something electrochemical, then what we're going to have to end up doing is giving, some, giving him some uh, mind-altering drugs, some mental straitjacket drug like loxetane or you name it, and, uh, and then, you know, we'll probably medically discharge him. Or this is the other option. We can go into this unit, uh, despite the warnings that were given to me uh, personally and to my wife personally by the commander of the organization that I was leaving and by other individuals that said, don't let him do this. He's joining an organization of freaks. Nothing good ever comes out of this organization. Uh, you know, and, and those were true statements. I mean, this organization had a very bad reputation. They had hospitalized soldiers that they had brought in and got taken through the training program that were not prepared to accept uh, this uh, uh, mind-expanding, uh, worldview-changing, uh, total existence-redefining experience that happened here. And then there were others that walked in and absorbed it and became uh, absor you know, uh, absolutely absorbed and obsessed with it. After this short break, what David Morehouse has happened after he decided he wanted out of the program. Now back to my 1996 conversation with David Morehouse. Is it possible to begin to describe what it is like to be a remote viewer? I mean, is, is there, can you put it in terms that those of us who've never had the experience would understand? Well, you know, I, I can, but it, it's, it's extremely lengthy and <laughs> difficult thing to do. By and the book. Very much in it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tried very hard, and we've had several discussions with other, with, uh, other comrades uh, and folks that have said, you know, that's not what it's like. And, uh, and uh, you know, my, re my response to that is, okay, so tell me what it's like for you. Well, it's... Well, it's, well, it's, okay, well, you know, so don't tell me how I see it if you can't even describe to me, in your own words, how you see it. So I worked very hard to try to create the word pictures and the experience, to, to give the reader the experience that a remote viewer might experience. 
I'll tell you, that's how I experienced it. It may not be how Lynn Buchanan experienced it or Mel Riley experienced it. It is a very individual thing once you get over the simple mechanics of the methodology. To a lay audience, I mean, we there may there will be people who be curious is it like hypnosis are you in a trance are you sleepwalking are you like uh, you know with, with a crystal ball do you see visions do you do you hear voices do you smell the smoke i mean what do you receive sensory images absolutely you do and and uh not to all of what you just said but sensory images actually that you actually learn to project the five senses that you have into this realm that we call the ether affectionately for lack of a better term which is that world between the the reality of this dimension and uh, the non-reality of whatever it is that you're perceiving the target in and as I mean you are there as an apparitional form some saw themselves in an apparitional form some did not some saw as though they were looking through a kaleidoscope of images uh, as some of it halluc- uh, audio and some of it visual some of it mixed some of it together uh, some folks like myself, uh, Mel Riley, uh, I believe Lynn Buchanan, at least in discussions that I've had with him over the years, uh, saw it very clearly as though they were standing there uh, in an apparitional form looking at something. Now, the images tend to be fleeting. Uh, they tend to be obscured and haze and, and, and other things. I mean, the best thing I can say to you is go pick your best sci-fi movie that you know, and kind of look at it and, and then go look at another one and another one. And there are probably elements of all those things that are that are in there. Uh, they had to be created in someone's mind uh, in order to be turned into film. So uh, it's it's the same kind of thing that a remote viewer experiences. Man, if you have a remote viewer that steps up and says, that's not how it is, Dave Morehouse is not telling you the truth, well, ask him to describe it for you. Uh, maybe they're right. Now, the worst things, as we were saying a moment ago, maybe some people would find something to chuckle at in here, or maybe you'd find something humorous, but <clears throat> what happened to you and your family when you tried to get out and 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 tried to to go in a different direction than they had in mind, that was not funny at all. No, and it was a very, it was very much a disappointment. You know, I'm not one to start uh, labeling folks victims here. And, you know, I'm Dave Morehouse is not a victim. Uh, I made a conscious decision to violate a security oath because I believed that this was something that was a benefit to all of humankind. So I sacrificed my reputation. I sacrificed my career. But what I never chose to do was sacrifice my family. Uh, And the only victims here are my wife and my children. Uh, Not only what the the reprisals brought to them, but the humiliation uh, and the loss of dignity that both my actions brought and the the response of the U.S. government to, uh, to what was going on here. As my attorney, uh, as one of my attorneys said, in a recent interview for, for the American said, you know, if you're trying to tell me that this was done as any matter of routine or because you felt this was going to go public, uh, to quote, that dog don't hunt per him. You know, this was a direct, de- deliberate effort to discredit Dave Morehouse, uh, destroy his family and isolate him, and to send a very clear message to anyone else in the intelligence community that if you want to end up like this guy, start talking about a secret. But I still believe that and I think there is a new breed of officer and soldier on the horizon that says just because you say it's a secret that don't make it so and you know I have to answer to the people not to the person that stamped top secret on that particular document I have to answer to the people 
I couldn't. Ha- I couldn't help wondering, and maybe I've been way too influenced by the movies and popular culture. But it occurred to me that there's the young men and women coming into the military today have been raised on all these movies that came out of the 60s and the 70s in which the military was always the bad guy. They'd take something good that science had worked on and tried to turn it into a weapon. And that's where our mentality as as a culture has come from. And now these young men and women are entering the military and they're seeing they can be part of this firsthand and maybe they can do something about it and not turn it into some dark, sinister weapon. And isn't that a wonderful thing? I mean, uh, for me it is. I mean, the world of secrets, uh, the, the world of the intelligence community, they want to control knowledge because knowledge is power. And if they can control knowledge uh, by turning it into a secret, then they have absolute power. And we all know what absolute power does, don't we? And so there you have it. And so you have this vicious circle of corruption that just feeds upon itself and develops many, many layers that mean that in the last 50 years, we have developed an, an, an intelligence animal in this country that we will never kill. And it's not the president's fault. It's not the director of the Central Intelligence Agency's fault. Uh, I'm here to tell you, that guy, as smart as he is and as good a man as he is, does not know what's going on in compartmented programs five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten levels down. That's why I say when we talk about in the book attempts being made on my life and on the life of my family members, if somebody asks me, do I think the CIA did this? Well, I'm going to say yes, but do I think that somebody at any mid-level management sat in the conference room and had Dave Morehouse's picture thrown up on the screen and turned around, slammed a uh, you know a pointer down and said, get this guy? No, that didn't happen. I'm certain that it didn't happen. Those kinds of deals and those kinds of actions, unfortunately, happen every day, day in and day out, and they are backroom deals over a martini at lunch where some guy says, this guy is going to make us look bad, uh, and I am in some way affiliated with this program. How about you spread a little trash? How about you do this? How about you do that? And if that doesn't work, do you know somebody that can take care of it? And if they can't take care of him, can they scare him? Can they scare his family? I think it's just important for the listeners to know that, that it's good to be skeptical about these kinds of things. Uh, skepticism is a good thing. As long as you continue to ask questions and continue to analyze the answers, being closed-minded about this is not. And there are great, you know, there are programs out there like Psychops and these other folks that are, are very closed-minded about it, accept it in no way, shape, or form, will make the claim that they've never seen any scientific evidence to support this. Well, hey, folks, this came out of Stanford Research Institute with a $28 million endowment from the Central Intelligence Agency, and some great guys worked on this stuff, laser physicists like Russell Targ and Hal Putoff. You had tremendous natural psychics like Pat Price, Yuri Geller, Ingo Swan out of New York. Those are the true heroes in, this, in all of this story because those are the guys uh, that fought the fight way back when in 74 and developed training templates for this and said, we all have this ability. All of us have this ability. I'm not special. None of the remote viewers are special. We just happen to be lucky enough or unlucky enough to be in the, in, in the place to receive this training to be capable of doing this. David Morehouse later made a career of training others to use the power of their mind. He's now 69 and lives in California. And you can get your copy of Psychic Warrior by clicking on the link in our show notes or by going to our website, heardeverything.com.
And HeardEverything.com is where you'll also find my 1996 interview with another man who made a living from his powers of the mind, the amazing Kreskin. I'm a showman. I, I dramatize what I do. But I, I have actually a $50,000 offer that's been well publicized for the years to anyone who can prove I employ paid assistance, confederates. And my 1987 interview with an author who knows a thing or two about various secret government warfare programs, Tom Clancy. I sit down and I plug my words together and I try to tell a story. Whether I do that better or worse than anyone else uh, is for the public to judge, not for me. I do the very best I can, and if people like it, so much the better. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, forget aging gracefully. Forget aging generally. My 1993 interview with the longtime editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan magazine, Helen Gurley-Brown. A young woman tried to give me a seat on the bus. I mean, was she crazy or something? I couldn't believe what she had just offered to do. And that was horrendous to look like somebody who needed to sit down and be given a seat. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. 